Hello, I'm David Mosscrop. Welcome to Open to Debate. Last week in Alberta, Premier Daniel Smith and the United Conservative Party held on to government in a race that was much closer than the 49-38 seat count suggests. Indeed, a small shift in votes in a handful of ridings in Calgary would have tipped the contest in favor of the new Democratic Party. But that didn't happen. NDP leader Rachel Notley says she will stay on as leader. This after losing to Smith, whose ministry and campaign were marked by gaffes, scandals, and utter absurdity. If you're wondering how Smith managed to perform as well as she did after comparing those who received a COVID vaccine to followers of Hitler, and what she'll do next as she takes aim at the federal government and climate policy, you have come to the right place as we ask what just happened in Alberta and what comes next. My guest on this episode of Open to Debate is Alberta politics writer Dave Cornoyer. Let's start with a look at the election itself and how and how Daniel Smith won, because it was a closer race than it might appear to people, closer than, say, the seat count might have indicated, and the UCP seemed vulnerable at times. So how did how do they pull it off? You know, the UCP walked into this election with a big structural advantage over the NDP. Uh, I mean, it was a close it was a close race. It was a close. It was a competitive election. Um, by by any indi- any any and every indicator, um, but the UCP walked in this walked into this race with uh, a solid grip over and a solid hold over almost every seat outside the two major cities. So compared to the you know the UCP walked into the election with about sixty seats, the UCP walked or the ND- NDP walked into the election with about twenty three seats, and to get that majority of forty four, there were only a certain number of seats available and competitive. Uh, that that were that were really in competition between the two parties, and over the course of the election, I'm mean, sure nationally, many, many people heard battleground Calgary was was two was the uh, was the big focus of the campaign because that's where the majority of the seats that were competitive were. And and back in um, about October last year, uh, after Danielle Smith won the UCP leadership, she had did an interview with Rick Bell, who's a, a very prolific and very well known columnist with the Calgary Sun, and I think his his, his columns are now published in the Calgary Herald as well, and all, all post media papers here in Alberta. Uh, but she made a comment about how the UCP could lose all of its seats or lose most of its seats in Calgary and, and still form government. And you can imagine that at the time, uh, you know, this leader had just won, uh, you know, a pretty, de- pretty divisive leadership race on the sixth ballot. And now all of a sudden she's saying that, you know, she, it doesn't matter if a bunch of her, <laughs> her party's MLAs from Calgary lose. Uh, she's willing to uh, to willing to make willing to cut them loose if if it means they can that's their path to victory. Well, uh, obviously there were some UCP MLAs at the time who didn't really like those comments because that was their jobs that she was talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really on election night, that's really the path to victory that the UCP took is is they were able to lose seats in Calgary and the NDP gained I think they gained uh, uh, twelve seats in Calgary or eleven or twelve seats in Calgary. Um, actually, the NDP won the majority of seats in Calgary and the majority of the vote in Calgary. Um, but because of that advantage that the UCP has, that big blue wall that exists outside the two major cities, um, the NDP, you know, weren't really able to make gains anywhere else. And and the UCP was able to to win with with 40, 49 seats. There'll be 48 UCP MLAs uh, in sitting in the UCP caucus. Um, one UCP MLA will be sitting as an independent, effectively voting with the UCP. Uh, but uh, but it's it's really it, they were able to to win the the 
I think the barest majority that um, that a conservative government in Alberta has since nineteen the nineteen seventies. I want to drill down on Calgary here a little bit because, uh, well, as you mentioned, it was the the uh, city in which the election was going to be determined. Uh, the NDP swept Edmonton, and and so it comes down to Calgary. I saw some analysis suggesting that a few thousand votes here and there in the Calgary area, and we would have had a different government altogether. So it's pretty remarkable to me that that UCP advantage uh, bolstered them all the way through to being able to leverage that competitive advantage to uh, to form a majority, and yet. Uh, had just a few thousand votes gone a different way, it would have been a different government. So I'm curious uh, whether or not this is a, a broader demographic shift in Calgary. Has Calgary always always been this sort of battleground, or or what's going on there? Well, uh, traditionally, Calgary has been pretty, for the most part, been pretty safe territory for the Conservatives and and the before the UCP, the the Progressive Conservative Party. I mean, the one the big uh, the big exception was what before this was 2015 when the NDP. Uh, formed government, and they there was a big orange wave, uh, and the NDP swept. I think they won fifteen or sixteen seats in Calgary. But even then, that was only with uh, about I think they only got about thirty six or thirty seven percent of the votes uh, in Calgary. Um, and because of the way that the way the vote was divided between the NDP, the Progressive Conservatives, and the Wild Rose Party at the time, uh, the NDP were able to win a, a majority of the seats. Uh, the twenty nineteen election, it was a big blue wave, and the UCP swept all but three seats in Calgary. The NDP were held, able to hold on to uh, Calgary Buffalo, Calgary Mountain View, and and Calgary McCall. Uh, but in this election, um, the NDP bounced all the way up to forty nine percent of the vote in Calgary, and that's uh, and the UCP got forty eight percent. But uh, you know, so it was, it was a very closely, very very close, very divided uh, vote in the city. Uh, but it's it's. It's a, a, I mean a record record for the NDP in in Calgary um, to have uh, to have earned that much of the vote. Going back to the uh, before this election, um, back into the 2019 election and even the 2015 election, whenever a poll would come out and show the NDP with more than 40 percent in Calgary, I would kind of toss it out. I'd figure, you know, this is uh, there's no way the NDP have more than 40 more than 40 percent in Calgary and 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 you know in the 2015 election and in the 2019 election they 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 held their vote mostly uh but they weren't able to break 40 percent but that they almost got 50 percent of the vote in this election um really speaks to the uh the the purposeful decision of the NDP to focus on Calgary going back to the start, to the end of the last election, basically when Rachel Notley decided she was going to stay on as party leader and run in 2023, uh, the NDP invested and focused a ton of effort into on-the-ground organizing, door-knocking, building constituency associations, and recruiting candidates who don't really fit the traditional mold of the New Democratic Party. These are uh, people who are moderate, moderates, even moderate conservatives, I would say. Um, and and that was that that was the game plan. The game uh, uh, plan for the use the NDP was they knew that if they wanted to form government again in 2023, their path to victory for the most part, the most seats that were available to them were through Calgary. Uh, so they needed to appeal to moderate voters and moderate conservative voters who might not be comfortable with. I mean, weren't comfortable with Jason Kenney as leader of the UCP up until last year, and and still weren't comfortable with Daniel Smith as as leader of the UCP after that. Um, so we saw the NDP go out and actively recruit candidates who had 
business backgrounds, who had economic development backgrounds, who had oil and gas and energy industry backgrounds, and nominate them as candidates. And many of those candidates were elected on 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 election night. Now, it wasn't enough to form government, but it was enough to have, have a massive, uh, I'd say, historic breakthrough in in uh, in Calgary. Back in 2015, there was a lot of talk about. Um, there's you'd hear the term accidental government a lot, and that you know that Albertans voted for change. And but they didn't necessarily, you know, they voted in purposely for the NDP, but they didn't necessarily expect the NDP to form government. They just knew they wanted change, and they saw what the best option was. And it just turned out that enough Albertans moved in the in the in the right direction, even though it was unpredictable at the time. Um, the uh, uh, going into this election, um, it was pretty clear that anybody who voted NDP voted NDP on purpose. There were no accidental NDP votes in this election. And I think that's probably reflected in in the results in Calgary. And you spoke about the close races in Calgary. I think nine out of the 10 uh, closest races in the province were inside Calgary city limits. And that goes both ways. The NDP won a number of seats. It was very close and a number of the seats they won. And then there were a handful of seats that the UCP won that were very close. So it you know, it could have gone one way and the NDP could have won more seats and gotten closer to, to a majority government, or it could have gone the other way and the UCP could have had a larger majority government if you would have uh, switched a couple thousand votes in either direction. So uh, beyond the the NDP strategy, I want, and I want to come back to that in a, a moment, uh, what about Smith herself? Uh, she's stylized as a, a libertarian and populist that's somewhat at odds with the tradition of conservatism in Alberta. Uh, how did this play out? Uh, and how would it have played out differently, for instance, uh, than than say had Jason Kenney been running the U- UCP? Well, I think Jason Kenney, when by the time he res- announced his resignation as Premier of Alberta and leader of the UCP last year, uh, he was he himself was so personally unpopular, um, both from the the as a result of the decisions that he'd made throughout the COVID pandemic, um, kind of playing trying to play both sides. Um, of, uh, you know, the trying to, you know, show that he supports public health restrictions or public health measures, which were, which is where most Albertans were. And then also trying to please and placate a, a very loud and a very, uh, mobilized and, uh, and very, um, very organized, uh, wing of, of his own political movement of, on, on the very right of the conservative party that was, was involved with the, with the freedom convoy that was involved with the very involved with the uh, the blockade at the Coots border crossing uh, to Montana, um, and who were actively taking a role inside his party, trying to trying to fight back against uh, uh, against those public health measures from within the United Conservative Party. Um, it it seems unlikely that that he himself probably would have been able to lead the UCP uh, back to where it was in 2019, which was a real which undoubtedly was a, was a political juggernaut in 2019. Um, had a more moderate lead, moderate conservative taken over, and I mean, there's been some, there's been a lot of chatter over the course of the election about how, or at least in some political circles, some chatter about, uh, you know, if the election would the election have been this close had uh, someone who was considered more of a, from the more moderate wing of the party, like Travis Taves, the former finance minister, or Rebecca Schultz, um, who was the I think she's now the municipal affairs minister. Had they been um, leading the UCP, they were both contenders in, in the UCP leadership race and came from the more moderate wing. And and there was definitely a, a feeling that they would have had a more broader appeal uh, than someone like Danielle Smith, who comes from, you know, I mean, who's a very well-known figure in Alberta politics. Uh, she led the Wild Rose Party into the 2012 election. She was a trustee on the Calgary School Board before that. She 
was a, she's a well-known political commentator and editorial writer and radio talk show host. So going into this election, I mean, Daniel Smith had a lot of name recognition and that it cut both ways. Uh, like any politician who has a political figure who has a lot of name recognition, um, you know, she said a lot of very controversial things uh, during her time, not only just as a radio host, but during her time as a, as a, a candidate for the UCP leadership race. And it, it really showed that during the leadership race, um, you know, the big two, you know, one of the big groups that she was appealing to were people who were, uh, you know, skeptical about COVID vaccinations and skeptical about COVID restrictions. Um, during the leadership UCP leadership race in 2022, she, I mean, one of one of the ways she was able to win, I think the way she was able to win is, is she sucked up all the oxygen in the leadership race by laser focusing on two key issues. And they were uh, opposition to COVID public health measures, and that was directed at at Jason Kenney, and opposition to uh, to Ottawa, and that was directed at Justin Trudeau. And through that, she was able to mobilize uh, a, a, a group of, uh, of Albertans who were very disenchanted with Jason Kenney over COVID restrictions, who were very angry at Ottawa over uh, Justin Trudeau being prime minister uh, and the things that the Trudeau government has done since 2015, um, or that they believe the Trudeau government has done since 2015. Um, and, uh, and they were really the only, she was the only candidate that seemed to have momentum. And even though it was a sixth ballot victory and it was actually quite close in the end, a lot closer than a lot of people had, a lot of people had thought and a lot, a lot closer than I had thought. Um, she, she was the only candidate with momentum and you could tell that all the other candidates were trying to follow her lead. It was, you know, Daniel Smith would put out a statement or make a comment. And then two hours later, Travis Taves would put out a tweet that basically echoed or tried to echo the same comment. And, and even though the other candidates tried to uh, tried to push their issues forward, uh, she was the only one with momentum. It, the only momentum in that race was was coming from that group. And and going into this election, that really shaped the United Conservative Party. Um, you have groups like Take Back Alberta, uh, an increasingly influential, increasingly powerful political action committee, and then they call, I think they call themselves an education society uh, or something like that. But uh, they've been going around over the past year and doing traditional political organizing. They've been holding town hall meetings, um, you know, whether they get three or four hundred people out or whether they get twelve people out. They're holding these meetings, and and their their leader, who's uh, a little bit charismatic, um, goes through and you know ring <laughs> talks about how his grievance talks about his grievances, talks about their grievances, and and uh, and encourages people and gets people involved with the with the United Conservative Party. We saw in last October at the UCP uh, annual general meeting, right after the leadership race, is the Take Back Alberta group. Um, uh, their slate of candidates swept the UCP executive board elections. We saw over the course of the past six months, the nomination races that were dominated by uh, candidates who were supported by Take Back Alberta. And these are candidates who, whose, in some cases, their politics are shaped by opposition to COVID-19 health measures, opposition to uh, um, or you know, support for the Coots border blockade, and it's a, it what it what it's created is a, a very different conservative party, a very different version of conservatism than I think a lot of Albertans are used to voting for. And you know, Alberta politics has been, I mean, it's been very interesting for a few years. But before 2015, uh, you know, we we had 44 years of uninterrupted progressive conservative majority governments, 12 consecutive elections where the PCs won big majorities, and. The PC party was, I mean, Alberta's, you know, Alberta has a reputation of being a very conservative place, and especially over those years because the conservative party won, but the PC party was a very big tent party. 
uh, you had people inside the, you know, at various times within the progressive conservative party who in other provinces like Manitoba or Saskatchewan in the, you know, in the 1990s probably could have been new Democrats or liberals in those other provinces. But because the PC party was the only way to have influence and the only way to have government. And, you know, unless you, you wanted to be an opposition MLA, um, you know, if you wanted to be in government and have an influence on, on, on government policy from in the legislature for a long time, it really was, and it, you know, it, it pains me to say, to say this because it's, you know, it shouldn't be how things work, but for a long time in Alberta, that's just the case. That's how it worked is you, you know, it was a necessity. It wasn't even buying a progressive conservative membership wasn't even really seen as a political statement for a long time. It was just the way business was done in the province and, and the United conservative party now, um, it's very much, it, it, you know, it looks a lot more like the Wild Rose Party. It sounds a lot more like the Wild Rose Party, which was kind of a, break, a right-wing split-off of the progressive conservatives in the, in the, in the 2000s that, that got traction. Um, but it, it's not the same type of progressive conservative party that, that a lot of Albertans in, embraced for decades. And I think that the, the NDP, their big gamble in, the, in this election was they wanted to, you know, they were going after those people who were progressive conservative voters, especially in Calgary, who people who weren't comfortable with the kind of wild rose style vision of uh, version of the of of the UCP. I want to move on. I want to move on to the NDP here in a second, but very, very quickly first. Um, did Take Back Alberta have an effect on the election? They claim quite an outsized role in Alberta politics and quite quite an effect on government in the previous office. It's so much that Daniel Smith tried to sort of say, no, no, I run the show here. It's not Take Back Alberta. Uh, but did they make a difference in the election ultimately? I, you know, I think in terms of the the a lot of the candidates that they they seem to support were were uh, were elected in safe UCP ridings. So I think what 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 we're going to watch now to see how much to really see how much of an influence they have now is on this smaller majority UCP caucus. And it's funny I say you know forty nine out of forty four uh, you know forty nine out of eighty seven seats is a small majority. Well, for Alberta that is a small majority. It's the smallest majority we've had for a long time. Um, in a lot of other provinces, that would be a, probably a comfortable majority for, for most parties or in, in most governments. But it will be interesting to see what influence the MLAs who were backed by Take Back Alberta have on this smaller UCP government and, and whether there's a, a, you know, a bigger role they play because there aren't, instead of there being 60 UCP MLAs, there's only uh, less than 50. And uh, and whether you know whether they're even or well organized enough to uh, to to create something. I've never, I've heard talk of people you know speculating there might be something like the, our version of the Freedom Caucus in uh, in um, in the Alberta Legislature with those MLAs. I think it's a little too early to be seen. We do have a you know it's we live we have a parliamentary system where the Premier's office has a lot of power um, in the legislature, and these are rookie MLAs, um, but. You know, Take Back Alberta is a an outside group. It's a third party group that has you know operates inside both inside and outside the UCP. And right now, they they exert a lot of influence within the United Conservative Party. And speaking with people who are involved in the UCP, the more kind of moderate conservatives, um, constituency presidents, and such, you know, the the people they see showing up at meetings are not the moderates, uh, not the moderate conservatives that would have shown up during the. The kind of the progressive conservative era. It's not the business conservative types that are that really have uh, seem to have uh, a lot of momentum um, inside the UCP right now. So one of the things to watch will be the UCP annual general meeting coming up in October, uh, where the other half of the UCP board is being elected. And I know Take Back Alberta has said that they want to run a slate and, and basically take over the rest of the board. So if this third party group, um, you know, controls the executive of the UCP board, it, I mean, it, it, 
it's something that Daniel Smith will definitely have to uh, have to have to pay attention to. And and for I mean, for all intents and purposes, it seems that she's perfectly well to be aligned with them, and they're perfectly comfortable supporting her as long as uh, as long as she doesn't uh, deviate too far from their program. And and what about the NDV? I want I want to come back to Smith and her hold on the leadership to close out. But but first, I want to talk about the NDP itself. Uh, you know, beyond the election that they won. Subsequently, if there seemed to be a winnable election, especially ahead of it, it seemed to be this one. And now there's plenty of critiques about what they did right, what they did wrong, what they should have done, what they shouldn't have done, where they should go from here. Now, assuming they could have won this election, what did they do wrong? How do they end up short? Well, I mean, there's been a few a few critiques coming in the last couple of weeks of the campaign. Um, and the past couple of days since the election, um, about you know things they should have focused on, things they didn't focus on, um, uh, tactical mistakes. I think overall, the NDP ran a fairly smooth campaign, um, uh, and and kept focused and kept aimed at, at the areas of the province that they wanted to be aimed at, and that that was Calgary, and then the uh, the ring of ridings around Edmonton called that we we affectionately call the donut. Um, of which the UC, which the NDP were only able to win two in this election, um, but we, we saw, or you know, over the course of the campaign, the NDP uh, they focused quite a bit on Daniel Smith. There was some criticism about how you know criticism about how how negative part of their campaign was. But I I mean, campaigns are always negative. This campaign in particular was quite negative on both sides. Both the UCP and the NDP had quite quite negative campaigns overall. I think um, one of the things that I think was really hurt the NDP in this election was, um, and something that, that I really feel was an own goal in a lot of ways was the, uh, when they released their, their, um, the costing plan for their, the budget of the costing plan for their platform, they included a, uh, a 4% increase to the, um, corporate income tax. Now the NDP had tried to inoculate themselves up to this by announcing that they were going to Get rid of the small business tax, which I think is two or three percent. They're just going to get rid of it in total. Um, but when the when it came out that they were going to increase the corporate tax uh, from the current eight percent that is now in Alberta, which is by far by miles the lowest in Canada, to eleven percent, which would still be the lowest in Canada, uh, the UCP were able to use this as a as a, a bludgeon to really attack the NDP. And while the while moderate conservatives in Calgary and I'd say in the suburbs around Edmonton as well are, you know, a lot of people are very uncomfortable with with Daniel Smith's politics. They're not comfortable with some of the people she has around her or, or who are influencing her. Um, at the most, they are, or even before, maybe before that, they're also tax averse. And I mean, the thing to understand about Alberta is that we have the lowest taxes in Canada because we have, because our governments have been have been able to rely, and sometimes can't rely, on massive revenues from oil and gas royalties that the province that the province collects when the price of oil is high. Um, Albertans, I would say, especially those can those moderate type moderate conservative types, and especially in Calgary, I'd say are tax averse. And almost immediately after the UCP released their spending plan. Um, and that included the tax that included the corporate tax increase. And these are ta- this is taxes on large corporations. Um, you saw the ND- the UCP come out with attack ads almost immediately that talked about the NDP wanting a 38% increase to the corporate tax rate, which is both true and and spin because it's a you know it's an increase from eight to eleven, but that's also 38%. So um, 
it was uh, uh, it was almost immediately it was the the airwaves were saturated. Both the digital and, and analog airwaves were saturated with uh, with attacks on an issue where the NDP was weak, and the NDP really didn't need to expose themselves on that issue. I think they actually uh, were doing quite well. Uh, and felt like they had a bit, a bit of momentum going into this election by that point. I think that was the second week of the campaign. And and you could kind of feel when that announcement was made, when the, ND, the UCP attack started, you could feel the wind coming a bit out of the NDP sails that, you know, people were really be, really beginning to question whether they could really take it all the way to, to win a majority government. I mean, I think that uh, uh, an election victory was within sight, but at a certain point in the campaign, it became out of reach. And and I'm not sure what, you know, once once the NDP exposed themselves on issues like that, I don't know if they could really have uh, really have come back from it. Now, the going back, the corporate tax increase, the NDP increased the corporate tax rate in after the 2015 election. And it was kind of the perfect, I mean, the, the 2015 election was a perfect storm for the NDP. It was a perfect storm for political change, but it was also almost a perfect storm for selling the idea of a corporate tax rate. It was Alberta, I mean, right right at that point, Alberta was just entering a recession. The international price of oil had just collapsed, but a lot of people hadn't really been, hadn't really felt the pain of that yet. The job layoffs hadn't really happened, hadn't really started happening on mass at that point. Um, people were still just still a little bit in shock of watching the price of oil drop after many years of riding really high and good times in Alberta. Um, during the 2015 election, Rachel Notley was able to sell the corporate tax increase idea as uh, I think her words were, you know, asking the biggest, most profitable corporations to pay a little bit more. And she tried to use that message again in this election, but she it did, didn't didn't really have the same resonance. It didn't really sell as well. And going back to the 2015 election, we had the math is difficult moment uh, in, during the debate, and that between her and Jim Prentice, uh, and that was all about the corporate tax increase. Uh, we had uh, a, a press conference of five corporate CEOs from from Edmonton who held a press conference in a, a penthouse boardroom um, uh, during the 2015 election, and basically said that if the NDP got elected, if people voted for the NDP, then those you know those millionaires were going to stop. Um, uh, making donations to the children's hospital. So you can imagine how well that went. That did not, you know, that did not go over very well. Um, and and the, it created a real backlash against the, against the PCs and created, I think, a lot of support for the corporate tax increase in 2015 because people were basically saying, well, to hell with these guys. Uh, let's let's increase their taxes if they if they're, if they're just going to walk away and not donate to uh, to children's hospitals. That wasn't a very very politically savvy move for them to make and hurt the progressive conservatives in that that election. But Going into this election, I don't really think that it was the 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 mood was right um, to sell a corporate tax increase like that. And I think that you know the NDP could have done it the right way, but the way they did it, they just kind of put it out there and then expected Alberts to buy it without actually, you know, really realizing how how much damage that could do to their campaign and how much you know. I mean, the UCP, I'm sure the minute they saw that, they uh, you know they began began running, you know, spinning out ads and running ads and running talking points because it, it it played perfectly into the message that the UCP was trying to spin before about the NDP being bad for the economy, about the NDP being bad for jobs. Um, and uh, and immediately they were able to get their uh, their surrogates to come out through the different business groups and and made that an issue and made, uh, you know, scary NDP uh, an, an issue during the campaign. What about the critique that the NDP didn't stay true to its values, that it wasn't and isn't a left party that it should have run further left. Uh, of course, on the one hand, the, the one response to that is, well, that's how you lose by a lot in Alberta. The NDP was trying to move to the center to try to pull away some of the uh, UCP votes. For instance, you know, this is why you you get the candidates you get in Calgary. 
and that's how you win Calgary, for instance, versus, well, yeah, but if you move left, you stay true to your value, you mobilize new constituencies and new communities, and rather than trying to convert the center and the right, you win new folks over. Do you think that would have been a viable strategy for them? Well, not if they wanted to win, which they clearly <laughs> wanted to do. Um, I, I mean, the NDP in Alberta hasn't been, I mean, I, I, I describe them as center-left-ish with a yeah. heavy emphasis on the center. Like, this is not a left-wing party. Yeah. Um, it, so, I, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of commentary since there, some commentary since the end of the election about how, you know, the NDP abandoned their left base during this election and that cost them votes. And I don't see where that would have cost them votes. I mean, Rachel Notley still won in in uh, in Edmonton Strathcona with almost 80% of the vote. And if there's a left-wing community in Alberta, it's, it's you know, a lot of it's going to be in Edmonton Strathcona. Um, I, I don't see that as a uh, as a real factor in this campaign. Um, you know, we don't really have a, a left wing, a viable left wing party, or or even any um, any momentum towards left electoral politics in this province. Not to say that there aren't you know center left elements in the, in the NDP. There absolutely are, and there are MLAs who I you know I'd consider to be social democrats. Um, but the party as a whole is a is a, a, a center left ish party, and one that really tried in this election to emulate the uh, the progressive conservatives of 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 the age of age of old here in Alberta. It, I mean it's a liberal party. I mean small L liberal party, right? I mean essentially, in, in fact, yeah. It could pass for a large L liberal party for that matter. Uh, you know, I, we can someday we'll do a different podcast episode on whether the NDP should be federated or not. I think probably not. That is uh, a fascinating conversation and it's something that I know people here in Alberta talk about because yeah. I mean one of, you know, one one of Jason Kenney's big talking points and one of Danielle Smith's big talking points and two talking points that I think are actually actually fairly effective when used the right way is the tying Rachel Notley to Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh. Um, you know, the that that hurts. I think it hurts the the Alberta NDP who are the Alberta NDP who are trying to be something else. Um, you know, the the conservatives trying to make that connection and tie them to Jagmeet Singh. And I mean, if Jagmeet Singh, if the federal NDP weren't in a coalition with the, or weren't in, didn't have a, an agreement with the with the Liberals to sustain them in power right now in Ottawa, it might be less of an effective uh, talking point. But um, but I'm I'm you know I'm sure there are some voters. Well, I know there are some voters that this is what this those ties, kind of talking points resonate with them, and those kind of talking points mobilize them to support it. It might not have changed too many votes in this election, um, but I think it was used effectively by the UCP to mobilize their base and their core supporters to get out and vote. Because if there's one person that conservatives in Alberta almost universally dislike, it's Justin Trudeau. Yeah, yes, indeed. I mean, I would say they should should defederate and, and become their own party because they don't align with what the federal NDP necessarily believes, but I don't really know what the federal NDP necessarily believes. So, but again, that's a whole different podcast. It, it is, it is. And, and, and I just, 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 just one, one more little point on that comment on our comment on that point is, is, I mean, one of the advantages of the, that, that we saw for the NDP, I mean, I guess you could say is an advantage or a disadvantage is, is they're able to, and we saw this in this election and the NDP see it in other provincial elections is because they're federated, they're able to draw support from other provincial NDPs. So you had campaigners coming in. I mean, the the person who ran the NDP campaign in Alberta was Nathan Rotman, um, who is from Toronto and is uh, as was very involved with the the. I mean, he was he was Rachel Notley's chief of staff here. She was in government, but uh, you know he comes from a federal NDP background. He was national director of the NDP when Jack Layton, um, when Jack Layton was leader. So while you know there may be disagreements between. 
the Alberta NDP and the federal NDP, and they may have they may be on different ideological tracks sometimes. Um, you know, there there are that they are. You know, there's a lot of the same people who move in the same circles because of it. Yeah, that is so so very Canadian. Uh, yes, small, yeah. <laughs> very small country. Uh, okay, so then is the takeaway that the that because it seems to me that if if that's the analysis, then the conclusion is, in many ways, the Notley campaign did nearly as well as it was expected to do, especially given the odds it was up against. Uh, should should Notley stay then and and fight on as she's suggested that she'll do? This is very much Rachel Notley's party, and I think that I mean for the stability of the party, um, it would be quite challenging. I mean. Political change happens, and you know, political parties are more than just one person. Uh, but when Rachel Notley became leader of the NDP back in 2014, they had four seats in the legislature. They were floating around 10% of the pop, 10% of the vote. I think they got about 12% in the previous election. Um, and for the past, the previous two decades, they'd been in that position where they'd floated between four and two seats, um, and sometimes had no seats at all. Uh, so they were very, they were very much a, a party that existed within. Uh, the center of Edmonton. They they won. They would win a handful of seats in Edmonton. They'd get about five percent or three percent of the vote in Calgary, and there may be one or two ridings outside of that where they would do okay, respectably, but probably not come close to winning. Uh, in 2015, that all changed, and they were able to uh, you know go from from four seats to 54 seats. And I think what this election shows is that you know because the 2019 election, the NDP lost. They lost ground everywhere. Um, and they were able to hold on to most, almost all the seats in Edmonton, but they lost ground everywhere else in the province. And I think what this election shows was that uh, the questions after 2019 were, you know, is the NDP going to just go back to being a party that has four or five or 12 seats in the legislature? And I mean, this election shows that, you know, obviously they are a competitive electoral. They are a competitive electoral force. They are a competitive party in this election. Um, they've They were able to bounce back from toward their their defeat in 2019 obviously it wasn't enough and you know they need to start asking some tough questions about what they need to do to you know if they want to form government in the next election whether Notley is the right leader to lead them there um whether you know what they need to do to appeal to more, more voters in Calgary what they need to do to appeal to voters in that kind of donut of ridings around Edmonton and what they need to do to appeal to voters outside the major the major centers because I mean I, I mentioned this earlier when we when we, we we began this conversation but the the UCP just absolutely dominated in rural Alberta and there were ridings that the NDP won in 2015 and yeah there was there were more parties so the vote was split differently in 2015 but the NDP was able to win a handful you know maybe 10 or so rural ridings in 2015 um, the only riding that they won outside uh, of the urban areas in this election was Banff Kananaskis. And even then, that's that's arguably not even a, it's not a traditional rural riding because it's dominated by Canmore and Banff and the mountain parks. So there are large First Nations communities and uh, and large uh, acreages and ranches uh, on the on the east end of the riding um, that, that, that people who act like more like urban voters than they would arguably more, be more urban than they would be traditionally rural voters. Um, so the, the NDP has a real challenge uh, to actually compete in these in in some of the in these rural ridings and figure out how to connect with Albertans, just as the the UCP has a big challenge ahead of them to try to reconnect with Calgary voters. Um, I mean, it's you know the UCP formed government and a win is a win. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how they got there. If you get a you know if you get to form government, you get to form government. You get to implement your agenda, and every party would treat that the same. Uh, but 
Uh, you know, the UCP has some soul searching to do to figure out how to reconnect with Calgary voters who should, you know, under any other circumstance, probably be reliably conservative voters. Uh, and the NDP has to figure out as well what they need to do to connect with that other half conserv of, of well, conservative voters in Calgary, who they weren't able to connect with and weren't able to convince and and who they'll need to convince in order to form government. Um, if, if Rachel Notley, going back to your original question, if Rachel Notley does decide to uh, you know, step down. And I think because it is her party and because she's been, I mean, really demonstrated over the past eight years that she really uh, holds, um, uh, and I want to say an, an, an iron grip of discipline over the party. I mean, there's no, after the 2019 election, there was no uh, no chatter from anyone who had, was in any position to do anything about it, about her leaving as leader. If she wanted to stay, she'd stay. If she wanted to go, she'd go. Uh, and even now, uh, you know, four days after the election here in Alberta, I'm not hearing a lot of chatter from people who are in active positions in the Democratic Party of Alberta about finding a new leader, at least not publicly. And I'm not hearing them really in the in the back channels either. I mean, there are uh, there are um, uh, progressive activists and left wing activists who'd like to see a more progressive, a more left wing political movement, electoral political movement through the NDP. Uh, and they're raising questions, but they're not they're not people who are in position of power within the party. They're, you know, this is it's very much an outside voice that 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 uh, that's just chattering about it. And I wouldn't even say loudly calling for it. So I think for the NDP, um, you know, Rachel Notley played a key role in building this party to what it is right now. And if she leaves, I think it'll be her own decision and it'll be her own timing. And you know, I, I could see a scenario where she stays on until the next election and, and runs again for the NDP in the next election. Um, but I can also see a scenario where she decides, you know, she's done this for eight or nine years and she wants to decides to do something else with her life or there may be other opportunities that uh, that pop up for her. Is Alberta now effectively a two party competitive province? Uh, you know, I, I think so. I think so. I mean, we'll see what happens and whether this trend continues into the next election. Uh, but, you know, right now we have you know, two parties who are very competitive. Uh, we have uh, a electoral, pardon me, an electorate in this province that is very divided between two parties. I mean, none of the other political parties, the smaller parties like the Liberal Party or the Alberta Party uh, or the, any of the versions of the Wild Rose Party that currently exist, um, got more than 1% of the vote. Or even the Green Party didn't get more than 1% of the vote. So this is very much a divided two-party uh, two province right now. And I mean, I think, I you know, for the longest time in Alberta, we had a dominant one party that won massive majorities in the uh, in elections and the smaller opposition parties were left to pick up the scraps or compete for the scraps um i i you know i certainly hope that we have a, a competitive electoral system in alberta uh because i think that's generally good for democracy yes indeed <laughs> i think that's true i want to close out the last couple of questions about daniel smith and i, and I, I want to start with what comes next i mean as you mentioned she made it very clear in her victory speech and before, for that matter, she's gunning for Ottawa, especially on climate policy. She's also trying to bolster Alberta's power vis-a-vis -vis the feds. I'm getting a real vibe of Alberta has looked to Quebec and they wonder, well, why can't we have a similar powers and similar special status and so on and so forth? Now, what's that showdown going to look like, particularly the federal-provincial struggle angle? I think it'll be very disruptive. Um, I think that I mean two of the the things that two of the two of the major items that the UCP has signaled they want to pursue, but 
almost basically refused to talk about during this election campaign. And it boggles my mind why the NDP didn't focus on on one of them in particular, and that's Alberta withdrawing from the Canada Pension Plan. It's something that uh, that uh, Jason Kenney talked about after the, the Fair Deal panel uh, report was submitted, and that was a uh, post-2019 federal election report that uh, that was a panel and report that was released after uh, um, the the Wexit wave hit Alberta, and and there was a bit of a wave of separatist resentment that was kind of raging through the province for for uh, for about a year. Um, that was one of the recommendations they made. The um, uh, the impact that the impact and the disturbance that will be created by Alberta even musing about withdrawing from the Canada Pension Plan will be huge. I mean, it'll be felt by by pensioners and future pensioners here in Alberta, which is which are working all working people here in Alberta, uh, and it'll be felt because Alberta has is such a huge contributor to the Canada Pension Plan because we have such a young population, a young workforce. Uh, there's no doubt that it'll be felt on a national level as well if Alberta decides to pull its funds out of the out of the Canada Pension Plan. And and I think it was kind of a, it had the potential to be a real sleeper issue in this election campaign um, if the NDP would have focused on it. Uh, but for whatever reason, I mean, they talked about it, they ran some ads about it, but it was never really the key, uh, any the the key um, uh, line of attack for the NDP, and they really focused on on some of the more outrageous comments that Daniel Smith made instead. Um, the other the other thing on the radar that will be interesting to watch is uh, the province has been moving forward, and and this started under Kenny. They started investigating it and and moving in that direction. Um, but Alberta withdrawing or basically replacing the RCMP with an Alberta provincial police force. Um, now, this is something that provinces can do. I mean, Ontario has its own provincial police force. Quebec does. Um, other, you know, it's it's something that's within provincial jurisdiction. But this really is uh, uh, done in the frame of autonomy from Ottawa. It's not the 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 arguments and the frame that the government is proposing or is using to argue about. Creating a provincial police force is about is not about not really about creating a better police force. That's I mean that they use the talking point, but that's not really what this is about. This is really about what's described as autonomy for Ottawa, from from Ottawa and creating more provincial jurisdiction, provincial control over over policing and over areas that the federal government has control over now, or or the federal government has a lot more influence over now. So those are kind of two two key things that are policy areas that that they want to move forward to. And then there's oil and gas, and Daniel Smith has said. Uh, that she would like to take challenge the carbon tax again in the courts, but I believe it's already been decided. Or there's already been a case that's gone to the Supreme Court of Canada, so I'm not sure what that looks like. But I expect there'll be a lot more, uh, a lot more chest thumping, a lot more um, uh, talk about Alberta autonomy over the oil and gas industry, about reasserting or asserting provincial control over over oil and gas, and and a lot of that will be framed in the say in the context of and as you, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, Quebec gets this, we should get it too. Or Quebec gets it this way, we should get it too. And that's that's really kind of the key message that we've been hearing from from uh, from this government when it comes to uh, 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 positioning itself with with Ottawa. And I mean, in, you know, the the Quebec is a very unique situation. You know, and you, has a very unique place in Canada and a very unique uh, is in a very unique situation. Um, and you know, for better or for worse, and I'm not sure Alberta really wants to. You know, Albertans would really want to put themselves in in a similar position, but uh, it seems, at least rhetorically wise, that the government is uh, is headed in that direction. At least until you know, until Pierre Polyev becomes prime minister, and then I think a lot of this stuff will just not be an issue anymore. A lot of this has to do because a lot of this has to do with the Liberals being government in Ottawa. 
I mean, you heard the same in the, in the, in the 2000s, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, while Jacques Chrétien and, um, and Paul Martin were prime minister, you heard a lot about this, you know, a lot about, you know, Alberta disgruntlement, Western, Western disgruntlement, and then Stephen Harper became prime minister. And, you know, he was from Alberta. I mean, Pierre Polyev's kind of from Alberta anyway, as well. But um, I expect a lot of this has to do with, with positioning for the next federal election as well. Which I mean could play well for the federal liberals as well. I mean Daniel Smith is a good foil for uh, could be a good foil for Justin Trudeau and and you know Rachel Notley as premier could have made things a little more difficult for him. You said Notley is firm and secure in her position, but there's already some titter chatter about whether or not Daniel Smith is. Uh, is she going to be able to hold on to her leadership in the long term? I mean, the UCP caucus is fractious. This is true of the right in Canada. People often forget the right is far more fractious than the left on balance. The UCP, as we saw with Jason Kenney, very much so, although Smith doesn't face the same pandemic challenges Kenny did. But there is a deeper split in that party between, say, libertarian conservatives, populist conservatives, uh, more centrist business conservatives, even of the occasional, I'm sure, red Tory How's that tension going to shape Smith's ministry, and can she hold on to to her leadership? I, I think that's something that's going to be key for Daniel Smith to figure out if she wants to if she wants to survive a full term as premier. And it's it's not speaking just just about her, but about how fractious and and how unruly the the United Conservative Party and and conservative parties in 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 Alberta have been over the past decade. I mean, I think since. Ralph Klein, since Ralph Klein stepped down as premier in 2006, 2007, I think the the major, the main main conservative parties have had six or seven different leaders in that period. So, you know, the conservative premiers in this province, and I and you know Ralph Klein, Ralph Klein in particular was the last conservative premier in Alberta to serve a full term in government. Um, conservative premiers in Alberta lately don't have a really great survival track record. That said, I mean, I wouldn't underestimate Danielle Smith. I think she's a, pr- a pretty shrewd communicator uh, and she'll have a new caucus. Uh, you know, there are a lot of new MLAs, a lot of MLAs in that caucus who um, are more in line with her vision of conservatism, I think, than were before this election. Um, you look at a number of the a number of the cabinet ministers, a number of the kind of more, I'd say, business conservative Calgary MLAs who were defeated in this election. Um, those voices simply aren't in the caucus anymore. And, you know, it's a very, it's a rural heavy caucus that, uh, that I think, you know, she might, might have an easier time figuring out. I mean, there's going to be a balancing act trying to figure out, take back Alberta, trying to figure out the, you know, the more moderate wing of the party and, and how that fits, how to build a cabinet when you've just had eight cabinet ministers either resign and not run in the election or be defeated in the election. Um, so it it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how she uh, you know how how that plays out and and whether she is I, I don't you know there's 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 a lot of talk about how uh, about her not having a very firm or solid position in this government but you know she just won the leadership of the UCP the UCP just won another majority when when um, six months ago they were trailing by fifteen or twenty points in the polls. Um, I mean, albeit the polls tightened up last November, so it's not like this is something that happened was over the course of the past four weeks. Um, but the UCP also don't have to run an election for another four years, so they have four years to figure this out. Um, but you know, they are a very fractious group. Um, but you know, if they're focused on rebuilding and focused on defeating the NDP uh, in the next election, that's something that uh, that could uh, you know convince some of the some of the the uh, the elements of the party to. Uh, to make some compromises. So we'll we'll see. We'll see how that works out. And 
similarly to um, on the other side in Rachel Notley's party, one of the things I'm going to be very interested to watch with the NDP is these new MLAs from Calgary who are more come from a more moderate conservative background, who come from a more of a corporate Calgary business background, how they fit in with the NDP and how they fit in in the opposition. Because I imagine some of these candidates and some of these who are, are legitimately star candidates who won for the NDP in Calgary, uh, you know, when they were recruited to run as candidates, they were they were probably under the belief that they'd be cabinet ministers after this election. And some of, you know, whether, you know, Notley is able to convince them to wait until after the next election to become cabinet ministers or not will be will be interesting. So it could because being an opposition MLA is very different than being a government MLA, especially if you don't, you know, you don't come from a traditional opposition kind of the pol opposition politics background. I, I can only imagine. I'd, I'd prefer neither of those jobs, but of the two, I certainly wouldn't. Fair enough. Prefer <laughs> opposition. I have so many more questions, but that brings us to time. Thank you very much for joining me today. That was extraordinarily helpful and uh, thorough. I am impressed by how thorough and detailed that was. I think people are going to learn a ton, and I appreciate that. And I know the listeners will too. So thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to uh, to chat about a board of politics with you today, David. We will have you back. And as always, my thanks also goes out to Carolyn Smith, Rosh Clark, and Aisha Jarrah, who make the show not just possible, but infinitely better than it would be without them. It, you you can only imagine what it's like before I'm edited. I promise you, it's it's just, just exponentially better once it's edited and produced, and I thank them for that work. I hope you've learned as much as I have, and I look forward to seeing you back here in two weeks.